Hi, this is Esti, host of the Friday A Public Affair. I hope you help us by contributing to WORT and you can also subscribe to the podcast. Bye. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take it to another mental level. Low power frequency radio. No change without struggle. No one in power ain't giving up nothing. No change without struggle. No one in power. WORT 89.9 FM Listener Sponsored Community Radio Madison, Wisconsin And hello, welcome to A Public Affair. I am Esti Dinor. A few things before we start our show today. First of all, thanks to those who donated and pledged last week. We were just $40 short of making 150% of our goal. So if you feel like donating $40 today or more, you are welcome to do that at www.wartfm.org. And I will ask Samer to keep an eye on um, the website and see if we get any um, additional pledges. It would be nice to um, make the 150% or better. Um, secondly, I have a pair of tickets to tonight's Yid Vicious Hanukkah concert and festivities. It's a fundraiser for Open Doors for Refugees. It's tonight at uh, 8, I believe, at North Street Cabaret. If you'd like to be the person who wins this pair of tickets, call 608-256-2001. The first one will um, get the ticket. And um, finally, if you have seen my announcement on uh, the show today, well, Things have changed. The um, person who was going to join us from COP28, Karim Elgendi, um, is not joining us. So we are going to start the show talking about the Boundary Waters. And then uh, later we will go to the Capitol and to the rally there. Um, for ceasefire. I hope you all know also about the rally tomorrow at 1 p.m. at the Capitol. Organizers say it'll be the biggest rally ever, and uh, we certainly hope it will be, and I hope to see many of you there. So, with all that, um, I want to welcome Ingrid Lyons. She's the executive director of the Campaign to Save the Boundary Waters and Northeastern Minnesotans for Wilderness. Thank you very much, Ingrid, for joining us today. And for those who don't know, what are the Boundary Waters? Yeah, uh, Essie, thank you so much for having me. Um, the Boundary Waters, uh, it's a wilderness area in northeastern Minnesota. It's over 1.1 million acres uh, of really interconnected fresh waters, so rivers, lakes, streams, and dense boreal forest. Um, the wilderness itself, like I said, is just over a million acres, but it is right next to Quetico's, or sorry, Canada's Quetico Provincial Park, as well as Voyageurs National Park. Uh, so really, altogether, it's over 4.4 million acres of continuous boreal habitat. And 
this has been a wilderness area since um, the Wilderness Act, uh, and it is a protected area and the most visited wilderness area actually in the whole country. Uh, the primary way people navigate and, and go through and visit the wilderness is by canoe paddling. Uh, and then when you, you know, need to go from one water body to the other, you portage. And there are some areas where you can use motorboats as well. Uh, and then in the winter, it freezes totally over and you can cross-country ski or snowshoe or uh, use dog sleds. So it's a really interesting, fabulous um, special landscape that we have here in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. And I understand that uh, much of it is really very wild and um, um, people go there on, on their own um, responsibility, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, it's, um, it's very remote. Um, one thing about wilderness areas is that they have the highest level of protection under the federal government. And what that means is that there are very high standards for things like uh, water pollution, air pollution, planes can't fly below a certain amount uh, mm -hmm. so that it doesn't affect the soundscape. Um, you're not allowed to use certain technologies or things with wheels. So it's a very, very, um, yeah, sort of wild experience. Uh, you, you really are tested and you get stronger when you go to the boundary waters. Mm -hmm. And I just want to let our listeners know that the tickets are gone. Congratulations to Gary, who will see Yid Vicious today. Um, and back to our um, issue here. So it is so protected, and yet on October 30th, if I'm not mistaken, Twin Metals and Franconia Minerals uh, plan for exploratory drilling just upstream of the Boundary Waters was approved. So um, tell us, first of all, who, who are Twin Metals and Franconia Minerals? Yeah, so Twin Metals, well, you know, it's sort of, it's that corporate structure that gets a little complicated, but essentially Franconia is a company that's owned by Twin Metals. And Twin Metals is a company that's owned by a Chilean mining conglomerate called Antofagasta. So this company, when we'll refer to it for twin, as Twin Metals for simplicity's sake, Twin Metals has been seeking to develop a copper mine immediately upstream of the Boundary Waters for a number of years. Um, it, th their proposal is why our campaign started in the first place. Mm -hmm. So, uh, who, who approved it? So, the state exploratory drilling plan was approved by the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources. Um, it is under their purview to manage the recreation and natural resources of our state. And in this instance, they, they approved Twin Metals' request. Uh, Twin Metals has state leases within the watershed of the Boundary Waters. And so the Minnesota DNR was the entity that they needed to request approval from. Uh-huh. So wasn't their request uh, blocked by the Biden administration earlier? What, what, what's going on here? Yeah, it's, it's quite a puzzle um, that can be put together. So the watershed of the Boundary Waters is made up of multiple types of land. So we have federal land ownership, state land ownership, and private land ownership. Mm -hmm. 
when the when the Biden administration took its action in January of this year, when it put in place a public land order, what that did was protect all of the federal lands and minerals within the watershed by banning copper mining on those lands. What that does, though, is leave state lands vulnerable because the state needs to act to protect state lands. And so this uh, this request was approved because it was on state lands and because Minnesota has not acted as a state to protect those lands yet. Why not? <sighs> That's a good question. Um, <laughs> it is a very good question because we... We as an organization uh, do a lot of polling, uh, and we've found very consistently that almost 70% of Minnesotans want to see the Boundary Waters and its watershed permanently protected from this type of mining. Um, Typically, the state and the federal government tend to work together. Uh, There's a long legislative history for the Boundary Waters, it's one of the most contentious landscapes in America in terms of for how long we've sort of gone back and forth on wanting additional protections, having them revoked, you know, people having different visions of what this landscape should be um, and how we should be able to use it. Um, and so in this case, you know, the state has an interesting political landscape, uh, even though, as many people know, Minnesota had a Democratic trifecta in our state government this year um, and in this next session, which was really wonderful for addressing many, many issues. We got a lot done. It was a very successful session. Um, Historically, the party has been one that is defined by um, labor interests. um, And uh, there's a really loud labor voice in this, in this conversation. Mm -hmm. And so there's ongoing sort of work and relationship building to be done to sort of help everybody in the state uh, understand, no matter their political stripe, it really shouldn't be a bipartisan issue, and yet it, you know, it is, helping people understand that we have a strong mining history in the state of Minnesota, but it is iron mining. And copper mining is a completely different beast that would lead to far more destruction than we've seen through our iron and taconite mining historically. Mm-hmm. So, so explain that. What is it about copper mining that would be so much more dangerous? And, and also, what are their plans? Um, so copper mining is a lot more dangerous because of the rock in which the different minerals sit. So when mining for iron or taconite, that is a different what's called ore body or rock body. Uh, compared to the rock body that copper is found within. The rock body that copper is found in is called sulfide ore. Um, and that's why we specifically always say sulfide ore copper mining, because when you mine for copper and you dig out that rock from the ground, once that rock, that specific type of rock, is exposed to air and water, it creates something called acid mine drainage, which is akin to battery acid. And what that does is it leaches out these trace amounts of heavy metals, um, many of which are neurotoxins, things like mercury, lead, uh, and pollutes nearby waterways with these heavy minerals and sulfates. And so when engaging in iron mining, the ore body does not do that. Um, You know, iron ore creates rust, 
whereas this sulfide or copper mining creates battery acid and heavy metal pollution. Mm-hmm. So um, the government, the DNR, um, has uh, the state government and DNR um, have um, allowed this exploration for for the uh, what might end up being a, a copper uh, mine. What does it entail right away? Sorry, what does what entail right away? The permission to explore. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Um, so it is, it is important to note that, you know, even though this exploratory request was approved, Twin Metals is very, a very long way from being able to put a shovel in the ground. Um, there's a lot of permits, a lot of process that take us from point A to point B. Um, but I will say that uh, what exploratory drilling means right away is that as of this winter, Twin Metals can start doing exploratory drilling work. And we know from past, ex- uh, past exploratory drilling in this area that it causes a lot of particularly noise pollution. Um, and so it typically does and often can continue for 24 hours a day uh, for months and seasons on end, which is really you know, harmful to the natural soundscape and the hearing and quality of for all life within earshot. The area that they would like to do this exploratory drilling is a lake that flows into the boundary waters. It's immediately upstream of the boundary waters. And there are many resorts, homeowners, cabin owners, and folks who recreate on this lake. And so you have this pretty egregious noise pollution that will affect everybody in that area. Um, And so immediately that's what happens is that they can start doing this drilling. I believe it's slated to run through March of 2025, meaning that, you know, that could be about 15 months or more of continuous loud, loud noise that really, really threatens the wilderness character and the recreation that happens just outside of that area. Mm-hmm. My guest is Ingrid Lyons. She's executive director of the campaign to save the Boundary Waters, a northeastern Minnesotans for wilderness. You're welcome to join the conversation. We will not have her for the entire hour. 608-256-2001, extension 9. Or you can join us. Well, I don't know about social media. Can we have social media today? I think not. So if you want to join the conversation, you uh, will have to call us. So um, Ingrid, assuming that the exploration proves that um, what uh, Twin Metals wants is there, what, what happens then? What kind of mine do they want? How big will it be? What effect would that have on the boundary waters? All good questions. So just to take a little bit of a step back, when the campaign initially started, uh, it was started in response to the fact that this company owned by this Chilean mining conglomerate, uh, they were interested in four different deposits, all of which were immediately upstream of the boundary waters. Um, three of those deposits are no longer 
they can no longer pursue mining activity on them because of the Biden administration's actions. So this deposit, um, which we call the Birch Lake deposit, is one of the only ones that remains uh, as viable potentially for uh, development because it's on state lands, like I, I mentioned earlier. Um, what happens next is, you know, like I said, there's a, there's a really long process between Twin Metals doing exploratory drilling, proposing a mine plan, you know, getting the agencies to give them the myriad of permits that they need to actually start mining. So we're quite a ways away from that. But what they are seeking is development of an underground mine, uh, primarily in pursuit of copper with a secondary interest in nickel. We think that this is one of the most dangerous of their proposals. Um, the other proposals were also quite dangerous. You know, they were large open pit copper mines um, in an area right now that is largely, you know, continuous boreal forest. Um, but this mine, this particular one on state lands is, is of more concern in some ways because they want to mine underneath the lake. Mm -hmm. So if you take kind of everything I said earlier about the dangers of copper mining, and the dangers of exposing rock to air and water and creating this acid mine drainage, you know, those things are catalyzed by air and water. So what happens if you have a mine under a lake and it collapses? You know, the, the likelihood is already extraordinarily high for water pollution for this type of mining. This type of mining, no matter where it's done in the world, causes some form of water pollution, even in the arid desert southwest. And so thinking about Minnesota, um, you know, Wisconsin folks know this well. They know how water rich this part of the country is. Uh, and so it poses a really significant threat to a waterway that flows directly into the boundary waters. So if anything were to happen, um, although it's more a question of not if, but when for basic pollution, but if something catastrophic were to happen as well, that means that this heavy metal pollution, this acid mine drainage, would absolutely destroy the water quality of the boundary waters. Uh, and it has a, a, a myriad of different, you know, impacts. But when we're talking about heavy metals, you know, it's toxic to wildlife, toxic to flora. Uh, it makes the fish inedible uh, because there's mercury bioaccumulated in their systems. And, and important to note, is that this area is 1854 treaty uh, territory, meaning mm. that uh, tribes maintain their treaty right to hunt, fish, and gather in this area. And they cannot do that. They cannot uphold their treaty rights as sovereign nations if the fish are dying, there's no more wild rice, you know, and so on and so on. So it could have a really, really catastrophic impact on the boundary waters and surrounding area. Yeah. So are the native people there part of the campaign? Are you all working together or what, what, what is your coalition? So our coalition uh, is a very large coalition of over 350 organizations, businesses, folks who are involved in this. Um, when it comes to the tribes, you know, the Boundary Waters region is the homeland of the Anishinaabe people. They've, mm -hmm. they've been here since time immemorial. And tribes 
have a role as sovereign governments and are involved in the work. Um, so, for example, in 2016, uh, three bands of Minnesota Chippewa, the Fond du Lac, Grand Portage, and White Earth Nations, um, as well as one Canadian First Nation, so the Lac LaCroix Band, they formally requested that the U.S. government ban this type of mining on federal public lands. Um, and then in 2020 as well, the Minnesota Chippewa tribe, which uh, consists of six Chippewa bands, stated its support for legislation that was introduced in Congress by a representative, uh, Representative Betty McCollum, that would ban sulfide or copper mining on federal lands. So they are involved um, as sovereign nations, and we have been extraordinarily grateful for their voice, uh, and we think it's really a, a big of, of large importance that there is a large environmental justice component of this, part of which is protecting that ceded territory and the rights of these sovereign nations. Mm-hmm. So um, I saw a uh, quote from the company, from Twin Metals, saying, the goal of this exploration activity is to better understand our mineral resources and our potential to contribute critical minerals to support Minnesota and our nation in transition in that transition to a clean energy future, which seems to be um, the new language that um, oil and gas and and uh, basically um, mineral resources companies are using nowadays to what degree is that true um, would it help in the transition to clean energy and um, can it considering its potential and likelihood as you suggested um, of polluting this whole area Right, that's exactly it, and I think you make a really good point. I think the primary thing that we need to, unfortunately, uh, you know, we have to have our sort of guard up around these extractive industries using greenwashing terms. You know, there's a there's obviously interest in creating a green economy and gre- creating, you know, climate-neutral, climate-friendly technologies, and it's true that a lot of these technologies require a certain mineral amount of minerals to to create and to operate. Um, but many companies are using this messaging in a misleading way. Um, so for example, this company, uh, Twin Metals, they have that quote like they do on their website. They, you know, they say often that this is this deposit of copper is going to lead to the sort of clean energy transition. And that's really not true. Um, the ore body that they are exploring is over 99% waste rock, meaning that less than 1% of the whole ore body is actually the mineral that they're looking for. Hmm. And so with over 99% waste rock, just to bring it back to the, the issue of that waste rock, you're having incredible amounts of pollution potential uh, for a very little actual amount of gain. Uh, the minerals that are produced in the watershed of the Boundary Waters are both insignificant and actually irrelevant to America's security and clean energy transition. Um, they are, on the, in the bigger picture, you know, important to everyday life, like I said, but uh, the idea that folks would have to sacrifice the Boundary Waters in order to achieve a green economy is a false choice. That's not, that's not true. Um, and, in fact, this company... 
you know, despite saying that this is critical for, you know, our own domestic supply and our domestic security, in addition to the, the addressing the climate crisis, the twin metals mine itself would be irrelevant because the company itself has proposed and actually signed a preliminary agreement uh, to send all of its metal concentrate to China for smelting, where then it would be sold on the world market. So there isn't, it's not, you know, those two things don't line up, if you know what I mean. You know, shoring up our domestic supply is a message, whereas with their actions, what they're doing is actually engaging the very actors they're trying to, you know, generate fear around, like China. Yeah, it's, um, you know, we were um, talking not that long ago to um, folks in the Upper Peninsula who are fighting mm. um, somewhat similar um, thing, a proposed mine uh, in the Pinocchio Mountains right on Lake Superior. And there, too, um, the, the copper would be about 2% of um, what is in the ore and it also will not be used here in the United States so it's um, yeah it's it's just um, it's incredible that this keeps going and that um, the agencies that are supposed to protect um, our natural resources and um, the environment are allowing that and and you have uh, the representative Stauber is uh, actively pushing to reinstate mineral leases that were cancelled in 2022 um, I suppose that has to do with the Biden administration talk about that yeah so uh, representative Pete Stauber he represents congressional district 8 in Minnesota which includes the boundary waters um, and he is a fierce proponent for this mine and for copper mining in this area. Um, he's pushing for a few things. Um, he would like to see, uh, he's introduced legislation uh, to reverse the mineral ban that, or the mining ban that Secretary Deb Holland put into place uh, earlier this year that prevents mm-hmm. any of this type of mining on federal lands in the watershed like we discussed. Um, He is also attempting to take it a step further to both reinstate and renew the federal mining leases for the Twin Metals Company. And, you know, that is a bit, uh, I mean, obviously we think that's wrong in a a number of ways. Um, Both the Biden and Obama administrations and their agencies followed the law, followed the science to come to this decision that this watershed was the wrong place for this type of mining. Um, and the story a little bit about the, the actual leases themselves um, was that the leases came up for renewal around the end of the Obama administration, and there was, there was a sort of debate, a legal debate, about who had the discretion to reject the renewal of those leases. You know, the company was arguing that the agencies did not have that discretion. But when you looked at the law, it was clear that they did indeed have the discretion to not renew the leases. So that's what happened. The leases were not renewed. Um, but once President Trump came into office, 
he revived and renewed those leases um, in a way that we believe was illegal. Um, then during the Biden administration, there was another look at that action and that decision and that legal precedent. And they agreed with the Obama administration and agreed with our environmental regulations, which was to say, you know, no, that that reinstatement that the Trump administration did was, in fact, illegal. So it's been a bit of a, a legal and political football, um, but it's quite clear that, you know, there are uh, there is strong legal precedent for the fact that the government, the federal government, had the discretion to reject those leases. So Representative Stauber would like to sort of, in theory, I think, kind of wash out this whole legal conversation um, in the interest of just going forward with copper mining at whatever cost, even if that cost means sort of eroding our nation's environmental rules and regulations and structures to do so. Yeah. And um, you say um, that um, this um, possible mine is perhaps the co the company's uh, Twin Metals most dangerous proposal yet. Um, why is that? And also, what do we know about the history of Twin Metals and its um, success in... Um, in in doing things without uh, major damage to the environment and and to humans and and wildlife and so on. Yeah. Um, so the the idea that this is their most dangerous proposal yet. What that is really referring to is the idea of the the mine that they want to do underneath the lake, um, simply because of the even somehow increased likelihood of water pollution. Plus, we have seen catastrophic failure in terms of mines that are either adjacent, immediately adjacent and underground or actually underneath water bodies collapsing. Um, and that is something that has happened in our state and, you know, killed many miners and is, is a dangerous possibility. So that that's what that's referring to. But when we're talking about, you know, who Twin Metals is as a company and what their track record is their focus in minnesota really is this copper mining uh effort right outside of the boundary waters that is that is what twin metals is for it's a shell company that was created by antifagasta which is the chilean mining conglomerate that uh, i was mentioning earlier and antifagasta has a notoriously terrible environmental and human rights record in its home country, um, where there are many uh, Antifagasta mining projects. Um, additionally, that company is owned by the wealthiest family in Chile. Um, and the person who owns that company, right after uh, President Trump was elected, actually bought a mansion in Washington, D.C., and rented it to Ivanka Trump and Jared Kushner. Mm. Um, and so there's, you know, I there's just some, they are a powerful company with very deep pockets and a very bad track record. And we firmly believe that in addition to the fact that the industry itself, you know, hard metal mining, copper mining, is one of the most toxic industries in the world, um, it's, it's that and it's the fact that we have this company that 
gives us no reason to trust it. You know, their record is such that there's no, there's no, nothing you can point to as, as successful. So between those two things, we, we feel like we have to do absolutely everything we can to protect the boundary waters and its watershed, which is a one of a kind critical landscape. Yeah. Okay. Oh, and we got um, $40 from um, Eric, who likes APA Friday, 8 o'clock, Buzz Wednesday, all news and public affairs. Um, and he says, save the boundary waters and genocide. And um, I want to, we have um, Jade with a bunch of people at the Capitol who are willing to talk to us about what's going on there. So let me uh, just ask you quickly two more questions that you can answer uh, together, Ingrid. The connection between um, this mine and mining generally in situations like that to climate change and uh, what our listeners can do su- to support you. That's great. Yeah, Esty, thank you so much for having me. Um, you know, I can't speak about mining in its sort of totality in terms of its relationship to climate change, but in many cases, big mining operations themselves are huge emitters of, of, net, of carbon. You know, they pollute of their own accord. And we have an important question to ask ourselves, which is, you know, what are the trade-offs? What's the trade-off when we're talking about mining to get critical minerals to, you know, have a transition to a green economy? Is there another way than absolutely destroying landscapes that are actually really critical as we face this climate crisis? So, for example, the 4.3 million acre Quetico Superior region is primarily boreal forest. And those types of forests store much more carbon than pretty much any other terrestrial ecosystem, um, nearly twice as much per acre as tropical forests. Uh, and so, you know, we need to investigate what, what are the realities? We need, to, we need to question what these companies' motivations are, what they're using as sort of their key messages to sort of scare us into action. But, you know, there's a lot we could be doing as a nation when it comes to recycling. We have valued partners across the world, allies who have been mining and have huge stores of these types of minerals. Um, we do not need to uh, solve one problem by creating another. Um, yeah. We don't need to sacrifice these critical public lands uh, for for mining. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, Ingrid Lyons, Executive Director of the Campaign to Save the Boundary Waters and Northeastern Minnesotans for Wilderness. We will stay in touch and and, um, see what happens there. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And thanks so much to everyone in, in Madison and in Wisconsin who have supported the campaign and Love the Boundary Waters. We're deeply appreciative uh, of everyone's support. Yeah, and I know that there are many. Thanks again, Ingrid. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. And uh, we have Jade on the phone. Hi, Jade, our um, Hi. producer. Hi, Esty. Thanks for sending me down to the Capitol today. Yeah, so tell us what's going on. Yeah, we have a group of, I would say, uh, let's, let's say 20 folks down here who are... Um, sitting vigil and um, asking for a ceasefire outside of Tammy Baldwin's office here. And I'm going to start handing you phone, uh, handing you off to people. We have uh, seven folks who you can, you know, ask their name and, and what they're doing here. And, uh, you know, I trust you to, 
use your good interview skills to ask them the, the questions that, that you want to ask them. All right. Thank you. All right. First off is Susan. Hi, Susan. Hello. Hi. Why are you there? Um, as a compassionate human being, I have to say something and do something. I cannot witness what I feel in what I understand to be something that I'm very connected to without speaking out. And so that's why I'm here. Um, it's, all, it's really about compassion. Um, it's not about size for me. Um, and then, it, and then it's, but it's about speaking up and asking for, for active compassion. Mm-hmm. And um, I've been, I've sent, I've written to Tammy and Miss um, Baldwin, and I have been um, occupying her office um, just for a part of the part, a part of a day this week. Um, in the request that she recognize that I think she does, but I think she needs to act on her sense of compassion. So that's why I'm here. So explain, since you are the first person we'll talk in, um, with about that. What's, um, why are you outside of Tammy Baldwin's office? What's, what's wrong? What do you need her to change? We want her to come out for a um, complete ceasefire officially, and we also want her to not fund um, the military backing for the genocide mm-hmm. of, of Gazans and, 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 and uh, yes, of Gazans and just secondarily of um, uh, Palestinians in the West Bank. Yeah, and um, Tammy, um, I, this is at least the second thing that I see where I think she must have some very um, strong connection to the military-industrial complex, right? She brought us the F-35s, the, uh, despite um, tremendous resistance from the people who live here. And now she seems to be supporting the continued genocidal campaign against the uh, Palestinians mm-hmm. in Gaza. Um mm-hmm. Are you, have you been a supporter of, uh, of hers? Are you still? Oh, yeah, I have been. Uh-huh. And, and, and I, I bet I'm not, I can't speak to the future. Um, but I can say that the letter that I received from her in response, you know, talked about how heartbreaking and, and um, the situation is. And I'm just saying, okay, then we act. Yeah, yeah. So you've been there. This is not your first time there. You've been there. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. And are you co- going to continue? Come in? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, as I, as I can. I can. I'm going to continue and support and support my friends who are, are um, being uh, so um, devoted to this, this um, vigiling, um, which is the, probably the next person you're going to talk to. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, part of what I'm doing is just is, yes, it's speaking out myself, but I'm also, um, supp- I think we need to support each other in acting from our compassion. Yes. Anything else you wanted to say before we go to the next person? No, I appreciate, I appreciate speaking with you, though. Thank you, Susan. Hello. Hi, and who are you? My name is Jamie. Hi, Jamie. And why are you there? Yeah, I am here because I've been calling Tammy Baldwin every day, demanding that she call for a ceasefire. Um, join other members of Congress doing so. Uh, and we know that she's taken over $400,000 in donations from the American Israel uh, Public Affairs Committee, and that doesn't 
negate her responsibility to represent her constituents. So we're here at her office uh, holding vigil to let her know that she's responsible to us and we're not going to vote for her if she's, you know, bought and paid for. Mm-hmm. So you say you've been calling every day. Um, I've been calling quite a bit myself. Thank you. Um, yeah, but I um, generally don't get to talk to a person. Have you succeeded in yes. that? I have talked to, I have not gotten through to Ron Johnson. I've just been leaving uh, voicemails there. I have gotten through a couple times to Tammy's office. I can't remember if it was at the D.C. or the Wisconsin or the Madison office. And mm-hmm. I've gotten through uh, more times to Mark Pocan as well. Yeah. Yeah. And Mark Pocan has called for uh, a yes. permanent ceasefire. And so um, and he became a co-sponsor of that resolution as well. Right, right. So uh, you mentioned that she has received a $400,000 donation from APAC. Um, how, what do you think is the effect of a donation like that? Yes, well, we have seen them as uh, an extremely powerful force in our elections and the sheer amount of money that they've spent during campaigns and they tend to um, people that they give money to tend to win elections because of the amount of ads and then that affects how people are voting for example Joe Biden over his political career has received seven million dollars from them and you've heard his stance on him saying that ceasefire is not a possibility when it clearly is Yeah, and of course there is uh, going to be a, um, a, a, a debate and discussion of ceasefire in the UN. The uh, Secretary mm-hmm. General invoked, um, I can't remember what it is called, but the number is 99. Yeah, yeah, which um, it's the first time in very long, if not forever, And yet the United States is uh, most likely going to um, veto it. How, how do you feel about that? Yeah, infuriated. And there are so many things that our representatives on the federal and international level are doing that are using our tax dollars to make us complicit in this genocide against Palestinians. And that's part of why we're here today, is we don't consent to our tax dollars being used towards the siege, occupation, and bombardment of Palestine. And it's honestly unfair that the majority of the member nations of the UN, the first time that they took a vote on ceasefire, the majority voted yes. 14 voted no, and, and the U.S. vetoed. That doesn't seem... Like a reasonable distribution of power, yeah, so um are you hopeful about um changing Tammy's mind? I think that we are gonna remain persistent and let her know that if she doesn't call for a ceasefire, she's not going to get our vote, and another thing that's important because I know a lot of people are feeling overwhelmed right now. A member of Freedom Inc. said something to me uh, during the mayoral elections where there's a long history of 
people showing up to resist, even when we know in certain circumstances that we won't win what we're fighting for, it's Mm -hmm. still important to stand up to show that things, we didn't just let it happen. And so, you know, so many people have said, oh, here's, if you want to know what you would have done during World War II, right now is your chance to know exactly what you would have done. So regardless, we're remaining firm in advocating for peace and liberation and end to the occupation in Palestine. Yeah. Well, Jamie, thank you so much for um, speaking to us and and for being there. I appreciate that. And I understand there's more people who want to talk with us. Yes, I'll hand you over. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, I see this is Gil. Hi, Gil. Yeah, you and I were there yesterday. <laughs> yes. And nice uh, to talk to a fellow artista here. Yeah, this is Gil Halstead, um, who is a volunteer here at Ward. Yeah, so why are you there again? Well, I'm here again for lots of reasons, but I mean, the main reason that we're here in this location is to let um, our Senator Tammy Baldwin, who I voted for over several different elections, to speak out for peace in in Israel and Palestine and to use her voice. I mean, I, I elected her to speak for me, and she is not speaking very loudly. And so we're, we're here to call on her to really take the step to join others in Congress in both the Senate and the House who have called for a, an immediate ceasefire and also to at least limit, but we, we would like actually to end military aid to, uh, to Israel unless th- they can agree to abide by international law, by the so-called rules of war, which they are not right now. We know that both sides in this conflict, if we can think that there are just two sides, that have carried out some, have carried out brutal attacks. But I'm, I'm in a position now as a constituent of Senator Baldwin to ask her to use her voice to uh, speak out against the role that the U.S. government, that she is representing me in, is uh, continuing to carry out. Time yeah. to put down the guns and sit down at the table. I'm sorry. Yeah, so um, how much hope do you have that um, she will? I, I don't, you know, I, I, I guess I, re- I really do hope that she will. I know that she's capable of doing it. But for me, it's important to just, as a citizen, to, to be here. And I've written her several times. I've called her office. That That's what... I feel like I need to do whether there is going to be a, a, a result of her actually taking that step. I, I I really don't know. Yes, I do hope so, but I, I guess I don't have a lot of hope right now. There's not been much indication that she's going to move off the dime where she's at. Yeah. Well, so you and and your wife Stefania Sani and uh, Janet Parker. Um, have been there, I think, for at least a week. Are yes, you seeing? Yeah. Are, are more people joining you every day? Are you seeing this growing? Uh, it hasn't grown in leaps and bounds, but we, we get new people here uh, 
on a regular basis. Each day there are people who haven't been before. Mm-hmm. They don't always come back the next day, but, you know, I, I think that it is uh, having an impact to be out here on the street and people who are feeling uh, the same way that we do, uh, some of them are, are being moved to stop and at least talk with us and sometimes remain and be part of the protest. We, mm-hmm. we got good coverage today from Channel 3000. I'm just watching as a bunch of school kids are walking by here. This is that <laughs> month in December when the, the schools come to the square and go through the Capitol. Um, uh-huh, uh-huh. So are you going to continue doing it? Can people join you next week? Yes. Um, I, I guess Stefania and Janet would be the best ones to ask about that, but I, I think that we do have that intention for as long as there's not really any... Uh, as as long as the bombing is going on and and our senator is not taking the steps that we're calling on her to do, I, yes, I think that they will will be here through next week. Yes. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Gil, and let's um let's go to our next um, speaker. And before just just before um we we ask you to talk, I just want to let our listeners know that the fact. Yeah, hi. Um, I, I'm just letting our uh, listeners know that Rifat Al-Arir, who to- we talked with when this uh, terrible campaign by Israel against Gaza um, started, he was killed recently in an airstrike. He and, um, well, at least 17,000 more people. So, um, yeah. And who are we with now? Um, this is Timothy Corden with Building Unity. Hi, hi, Tim. How are you? And hi, and uh, you. what are you doing there? Well, I'm here uh, every day, Monday through Friday. We'll be here at least till the 15th, and I'm I'm suspecting that we'll be here beyond the 15th of December, unless Senator Baldwin comes around and calls for a ceasefire and stopping supporting the Israeli military. Um, yeah, I'm here to to try to do my part to stop genocide in our name. Yeah, and uh, I'll ask you too, do you think she might? Um, you know, I I have no idea. I know that if enough of us show up here, if she gets a strong enough message for more people showing up outside her office, going up to her office, uh, their staff has been very welcoming and spends quite a bit of time listening to us. So we really encourage people to come up and appreciate their keeping their doors open for democracy and, and uh participation, but also to let them know how they, as workers inside of the Baldwin administration, can, uh, I don't know if the administration is the right word, but they can maybe influence Senator Baldwin to listen to the people who are calling for peace and to stop genocide. Yeah, yeah, we certainly hope so. Uh, Tim, I would like to talk to at least one more person, but is there anything else that you would like to say? Well, just come on down. Um, you know, our numbers are small often, but they're mighty, and we welcome people anytime, 9 to 5, at the State Street corner of the Capitol Square, 30 West Mifflin, um, 9 to 5, Monday through Friday. And here's my new friend, Glenn. You meet the greatest people down here. Here's Glenn. Thank you. Hi, Gwen. Hello. This Hi. Glenn. Oh, hi, Glenn. Um, yeah. Are you there for the first time today? Uh, yes, I'm here for the first time. I'm trying to uh, get uh, draw attention 
so that Senator Baldwin can do the bare minimum of being a humane individual person and call for a ceasefire uh, so that um, people can go back to their homes, people can dig out uh, their relatives from under the rubble, uh, get humanitarian aid in. And uh, so we're trying to put a little pressure on uh, Senator Baldwin to to take some action and uh, to demonstrate that uh, Americans aren't all um, warmongers and that there are some compassionate people that still live in our society. Mm-hmm. I think, um, Glenn, that we've seen some very massive uh, demonstrations and rallies all over the country, which really suggest that not all Americans are warmongers. And I think among the ones who have not been rallying, a lot of them just don't know enough. Um, so I, I, I have hope that we can stop this. Um, what's your hope? And briefly, because we're almost done here with time. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I, everybody has hope, but it doesn't look promising in the, in the near future here. Yeah. Um, Israel seems quite committed to bomb. Uh, they've bombed uh, their schools. They've bombed the government buildings. Um, they're, just yesterday, they killed one of their most famous poets. And writers yeah um, they kill children so it it's it's pretty apparent that their their goal is to displace and remove all Palestinians so that Israel can can have their their promised land yeah well Glenn thank you very much for being there and for joining us we are totally out of time thank you okay. um, Jade thank you summer thank you Rick I'm STD Noor we'll be talking again next week come to the rally tomorrow at 1 p.m at the Capitol bye bye with information that would never be reported this